Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod Roundtable, where we take a look back at the news of the week. And this week, impeachment kicked into high gear. The Judiciary Committee holding its first hearing, where the House Intelligence Committee left off. And the very next day, Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced that House Democrats would immediately begin drawing up articles of impeachment under her direction. Let the games begin. Meanwhile, President Trump came home from London in a huff after getting a mixed reaction at best at the big NATO celebration. The Democratic slate of candidates for 2020, which gained two new contenders, Deval Patrick and Michael Bloomberg, last week, lost two contenders this week with the departure of Steve Bullock and Kamala Harris. And the Trump administration celebrated the start of the Christmas holidays by kicking almost 700,000 Americans off of food stamps. Well, joining us today to try to make some sense of all of it, Addie Baird, congressional correspondent for BuzzFeed. Hello, Addie. Welcome back. Hi, Bill. Ginger Gibson, a national political correspondent for Reuters, back uh, from the uh, campaign trail in Maine. Hello, Ginger. Hello. Good to see you. And Scott Wong, joining us for the first time, senior staff writer for The Hill. Hi, Scott. Hey, Bill. How are you doing? All right. So... um, Speaker Pelosi yesterday, uh, Scott, you were there making the announcement that she has directed her lieutenants in the House to draw up articles of impeachment. As the New York Times says this morning, she went from on impeachment from no go to no choice. That's ex- <clears throat> that's exactly right. I mean, Nancy Pelosi earlier this year was the one who was trying to pump the brakes on impeachment as progressives in her caucus were trying to push forward on that. And uh you know, it took everything she had to hold them off. Finally, it was this Ukraine matter uh, that completely changed her mind and her outlook on impeachment. And here we are. So is this mean impeachment's inevitable, Addie? It's been inevitable for a long time. <laughs> but yes, it, it definitely is. Um, you know, it, it, when I asked, I, I started, you know, asking members you know, their, their thoughts on um, Pelosi's announcement yesterday. And most of them said, yeah, this is not surprising, which is, you know, how we all sort of, I think, as reporters and people who pay attention to this reacted. Like, this is just the next step in the thing we've seen coming for a while. Right. Um, Ginger, you've been out on the road. Does anybody out of Washington care about this? Well, they're paying attention. Um, I was in Maine a couple weeks ago talking to voters, uh, standing in parking lots, as I like to do, to, and, you know, engaging with random people. Um, and I was struck. In, in case you see some stranger in your Walmart parking lot, it's probably it's, Ginger it's Gibson. It's me. It's me. And I would like to know what you think about the president. Do you have a minute? Um, uh, no, but I was struck by how many people uh, had an opinion. Uh, normally, when you go out and do these 
these and I do these a lot. I think I spent 60 hours in the parking lots of Walmart across the country in 2016. Um, you know, one uh, in three or one in four people just don't care and they just don't want to talk to you. Every single person I stopped in Maine uh, for this story had an opinion. Uh, even one guy tell me I'm not really paying close attention. And when I asked a follow-up question, he surely was. Um, so people are paying attention. They're watching this. Uh, maybe not every minute of the testimony, but they're they're paying attention to what's going on. What's the timetable now, do you think? Uh, you guys from Cover I think things are moving very quickly. Uh, you know, we have one more hearing on Monday in judiciary. This will be the second one where the Intelligence Committee will be presenting evidence from their investigation in that 300-page report. Right, this report, which I there have a copy of right in my there. hand. <laughs> right. and, then it, and then things are just going to move very quickly, I think. We're, sources told uh, me and a colleague yesterday that we could see the actual articles of impeachment introduced sometime next week with a vote as early as late next week or into that final week before they recess for the for the holidays. Well, does the way the process starts, once they introduce the articles of impeachment, right, do, do they then debate them on the floor of the House? Do we, do we know? Or, or just go to a vote? There would be a rules process yeah. that would establish how the debate works, who gets what time, who can, you know, the, presumably the chair and the ranking member of judiciary would control that time. Um, I, you know, I think I had a coworker remark to me yesterday, this seems to be happening really quickly. And I, I think it was, you look at everyone's minds and they seem to be pretty made up. And none of this process is going to change anyone's mind. So they could spend another month sitting around and talking about it. They're going to get to the same point they would on December 16th or January 16th. And I think that is a parent and how they're and how they're structuring this so Addie, i saw yesterday that jeff van drew democrat from new jersey has said he's going to vote against articles of impeachment no matter what they are yes are, are there going to be any other democratic defections that we know of or is it basic or any republican defections <laughs> I would say the only other one to watch is Colin Peterson. Um, he also voted against um, the resolution that went to the floor to establish. Um, this was probably, do you remember, Scott, like a month ago, probably, um, that established how to move forward with public hearings and, you know, sort of the rules for the next phase of the impeachment inquiry. So it was Van Drew and Peterson that voted against that. Um, and I would I would say betting money on on Peterson also um, defecting with Van Drew. As far as Republican defections, so far there's no evidence that they're gonna. How about you, Scott? Your count? Yeah, <clears throat> I don't think there's gonna partisan. be partisan. Pretty pretty partisan, and certainly zero Republicans that will be voting for impeachment. At least from what I see right now, Justin Amash is not a Republican anymore. He has no, said he, he will vote. I think with the Democrats. So. Uh, it's going to be a very partisan vote. And one of the debates that's happening right now is the scope of the article. I was just going right? to get to that, right. And so. some moderates are, have been arguing that if we broaden out the scope a little bit, give ourselves some options for what we vote on, meaning could we include some of the stuff from, from the Russia from the Mueller report. Mueller report, obstruction of justice from the Mueller report, uh, that could give people some wiggle room to vote no on some articles, but yes on Ukraine, which most Democrats agree is the most egregious, uh, you know, acts conducted by the president. But I've also heard the argument so on, on the so-called kitchen think, sink theory, rather, that if they go back to Mueller, Ginger, and they include this kind of stuff, then 
that that's going to be trouble for them in their districts. If they focus on Ukraine, it's better. I, I think some have made that argument. Yeah, talking to voters, right? There is no um, agreement among voters that Mueller produced any problematic evidence against the president, right? So adding Mueller really convolutes things. And I think that uh, I, I talked to an independent voter, I'll go back to when I was in Maine, who said, you know, Mueller was a witch hunt. And I th- he thought that when this, this Ukraine inquiry started, it too was a witch hunt. He used those words to me. But he said, when I heard all this evidence, I changed my mind and I realized that actually, no, there is something there and we needed to look at it. Um, I think there were probably a lot more folks like him who didn't weren't convinced by the Mueller report and would also find it to be political, partisan, uh, throwing the kitchen sink unfairly at the president should they include that. So I'm not there every day like you guys are, uh, Eddie, but uh, it seems to me that if Nad- Jerry Nadler had his way, he would include everything. Oh, absolutely. And that Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff really want to do the laser Ukraine call thing. Am I reading that correctly? I, you absolutely are. And that is, I would say, because Nadler was for so many months engaged in investigations that, you know, even though he never said it publicly, it was very clear to all of us that he believed that there were impeachable offenses in the Mueller report. And many members of the Judiciary Committee agreed with him and came out in support of impeachment before this Ukraine saga ever began to unfold. And I think that they feel a little bit like... um, they did this work for a long time, and they believe that there are impeachable offenses, and to leave them out would... Um, Jamie Raskin talks a lot about this, about the importance of putting together a comprehensive story of the president's corrupt behavior. But, again, like Scott was saying... Um, you have this argument from moderate members who didn't support impeachment until the Ukraine story started to unravel um, that, you know, voters, like Ginger's saying, don't think that there's anything impeachable in the Mueller report. They don't think that, um, you know, and, and they, Schiff and, and Pelosi clearly believe the caucus can unify and get these votes for impeachment if you focus on Ukraine and national security issues in that story. Okay, so um, I want to talk about the Judiciary Committee hearing, but before we do... I'd like to get your comments on Speaker Pelosi because, boy, she there's no doubt who's in charge. <laughs> and if there's any doubt yesterday, who's in charge or is what or what is motivating her when she was walking away from her announcement and she's thrown a question by James Rosen from Sinclair. So do you hate Donald Trump? Right? She turned and... Representative Collins yesterday suggested that the Democrats are doing this simply because they don't like the guy. I think the president is a coward when it comes to helping uh, our, our kids who are afraid of gun violence. I think he is cruel when he doesn't deal with the, the helping our dreamers. The, of which we're very proud. I think he's in denial about the constitu- about the uh, climate crisis. However, that's about the election. This is about the elect. Take it up in the election. This is about the Constitution of the United States and the facts that lead to the president's violation of his oath of office. And as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. And I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. You can hear the emotion in her voice. And for her, challenging her faith, 
is really a big deal. I mean, you know, I'm a Catholic. She's a Catholic. She's a, she's a much better Catholic than I am. I mean, she still goes to church every Sunday. And it's serious for her. And hate, hatred is a sin. And, you know, he's basically accusing her of being a sinner. And, you know, Catholics believe, like a lot of Christians, love thy enemies, right? So this was really personal for her. Can I, can I say? So jump in. I, I just like your take on how Nancy Pelosi has emerged as maybe the most powerful speaker in our lifetime. I was just going to say, reporters can't usually bait her like that. She's usually yes. um, yeah. cool as a cucumber. And I think that there's a long history between her and James Rosen, who works at Sinclair. I think that she didn't think the question was in good faith. I think that um, there was sort of a lot that, that kind of led to that moment. Um, but it really touched a nerve with her. I was sitting right behind James, and I oh. and she turned around, and she pointed at him, and like it was and, and you know she's sort of standing above reporters it was sort of a moment um we've you know reporters who have been there a lot longer than i um were like we've never really seen anything like that were you scared i think i would have been scared if i was james <laughs> <laughs> can I, can I, this is a bit Ginger. anecdotal but my yeah. brother who's a nurse he doesn't work in politics or anywhere near washington uh was one of those kind of liberal folks who wanted pelosi replaced at the beginning of this oh. term and yesterday he texted me nancy pelosi is my spirit animal <laughs> i mean um she has really just solidified her place um as an icon within the left i mean um whether it's pointing and staring down at Donald Trump, whether it was yesterday, whether it's how she's handled this in a way that they felt was deliberate um, and methodical and not knee-jerk reaction. Um, I She's really just solidified her place. Before that, Nancy Pelosi's the best whip to work that building since LBJ, and I don't think anyone would refute that. Um, but what she's done to build on that and make herself um, really just respected in the party is, is, is going to be remembered for a long time. Yeah. <clears throat> I was also in the room that day, yesterday, and uh, Jaws were the room, on the floor. In the room where it happened. In the room where it happened, watching history. I think I agree with Ginger. It's going to be one of the iconic moments and visuals that we think of when we think of Nancy Pelosi and her career. Uh, and and it shows that she's you know she's ready for combat. She's heading into this uh, impeachment, leading her troops. In fact, earlier in the week, she. Uh, addressed in a closed-door meeting House Democrats and said, ask them, are you ready? And everyone took that to mean, are you ready to impeach the president? And everyone shouted, yes, we're ready. So uh, Nancy Pelosi has proven why she's been such a successful leader all of these years in, in Washington, and, and she's leading her troops into battle. So we had a hearing, the first hearing of the Judiciary Committee this week, um, four attorneys, um, constitutional attorneys, testifying, one invited by the Republicans, three by the Democrats, who all together in uh, in chorus, the three invited by the Democrats, said, yes, impeachable offenses. Uh, here they are for the record. Noah Feldman from Harvard, Michael Gerhardt from the University of, uh, School of Law of the University of North Carolina, and Pamela Carlin from Stanford. If what we're talking about is not impeachable, then nothing is impeachable. President Trump has committed impeachable high crimes and misdemeanors by corruptly abusing the office of the presidency. What has happened in the case today is something that I do not think we have ever seen before. A president who has doubled down on violating his oath to faithfully execute the laws. 
Jonathan Turley disagreed, called it wafer-thin uh, evidence, and suggested that Democrats would be better off if they held off until they had heard from more witnesses and got more, more documents. Was anything gained by this hearing at all? What do you think? I think that this is, and I keep comparing this to the legal process in the U.S. You know, there was an investigation by the detectives in the Intelligence Committee, and now the prosecutors of the Judiciary Committee are sitting around debating what charges to file. Um, so they needed to have some part of that process in the public, right? Um, if they just went back in their in their office and and decided what they were going to move forward with, the, the there would be a lot of criticism that this was done in the back room and done in secret. Um, it's a little perfunctory, right? And it probably doesn't, it absolutely doesn't change anyone's mind, but it, it, it appears to be a step that they needed to take in the process. A lot of people I saw in the media said, oh, it was so boring. But I'm an- well, yeah. I'll be honest. I thought it was going to be boring. I, uh, well, to my own anecdotal you know, well, evidence here is my mom watched the investigator, the, the, the intel Wait, Everybody's hearings. family is weighing in yeah, here. Everybody's right? family's got feelings. Um, listen, it was just Thanksgiving. We all got a lot of. <laughs> but my mom watched the intel hearings and kept them on and found them very interesting. I don't even think she knew that there was a hearing in the judiciary. But I, uh, which is to say, I'm not convinced that like the American people were really engaged with this hearing. I was one of the reporters who said, I don't know how interesting this is going to be. And I'll be honest, I found it very interesting because, um, you know, I think that, that, you know, like Ginger is saying, it was really interesting and valuable, I think, to hear uh, the legal theory laid out here. Um, this is a le- impeachment is a legal process, um, and it was really fascinating to hear people who know a lot more than me or members of Congress um, talk about that. And and I honestly, you know, um, think it was again didn't change anyone's mind. I thought it was less boring than I thought it was going to be. That's historical stuff, particularly putting yeah. it in context, was was valuable to know. Yeah. Um, so, but, but but Scott, so to Jonathan Turley's point. He does have somewhat of a point, right, that there are some missing pieces here that maybe it'd be a stronger case if they could get John Bolton or, you know, um, the former White House. Uh, I mean, Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler would love to have John Bolton testify <laughs> before the committee. And have all these documents, right. And have all the documents. And, and even the ones that have been uh, FOIA'd and have come out are even revealing from the State Department and from mm-hmm. the White House. And we did learn a, a little bit more also about uh, from that 300-page uh, Adam Schiff report. I mean, there were phone records from Giuliani to Good point. Right. State Department officials, uh, White House officials. Very interesting. Yeah, that Giuliani was in contact with um, Mike Pompeo. Right. Uh, he was talking to Devin Nunez. He was talking to Devin Nunez. Uh, who still presided as ranking member in the House Intelligence Committee without revealing uh, those phone calls. And there were some calls to the White House, we don't know whether it was to number one. Right. I mean, who's not, who's not number one if it's not Donald Trump, right? I mean, I, but that's not proven yet. Going back also to the, to the Nadler hearing uh, this week, I also think that Democrats saw it as a success because it did not go off the rails. There was a lot of nervousness in the Democratic caucus about what would happen because Adam Schiff was so disciplined in the Intel Committee and Nadler has not had that same track record. People thought it could go off the rails and devolve into a circus. And actually, Nadler did pretty well. And I think that's also why you're seeing Nancy Pelosi saying, "Okay, the time to go on impeachment is now because 
we're in a good place. We have control of the message. Let's move forward now while we we're in a good place. And while this was happening this week, can anybody explain why, of all places, Rudy Giuliani was in Ukraine? Oh, he's going to prove that this is all a conspiracy against the president. Didn't you hear, Bill? Is that it? That's what he says. Talk about... <laughs> I thought, talk about tone deaf. I thought it was good that he was out of sight and out of... Not off television for a couple of days, and I learned he's in Ukraine. Rudy meeting Giuliani. With these, meeting with these former prosecutors. He's not exactly... Um, doesn't have a long history of being, like, really... <laughs> um, self-aware let's say so you know <laughs> um, he's a character that history will remember in this process no matter how it turns out <laughs> let's be clear on that yeah and, and the one who uh, allegedly at least came up with this theory cockamamie theory about ukraine not russia in the first place sold it to donald trump who let's remember spent five years trying to prove that Barack Obama was born in Kenya, and off we go, and here we are. Uh, let's take a quick break. Um, Eddie Baird, Ginger Gibson, and uh, Scott Wong from The Hill. Uh, and as we take a break from today's roundtable... And I'll take this time to uh, remind you about one special message for this holiday season. If you're experiencing that cold weather and you want to get a head start on your holiday shopping, uh, those are two good reasons to take a look at those beautiful handwoven scarves by my wife, Carol. Each scarf is handwoven. Each one's a work of art made of rayon chenille or bamboo, and they come in all kinds of colors, designs, and patterns. Believe me, there's no better gift for yourself or someone you love, and here's all you need to do. Check out Carol's own website, carolpressscarves.com, or follow the link to Carol Press Scarves from my own website, billpresspods.com. Have the happiest of holidays this year with an original, handwoven Carol Press Scarf. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
Okay, we're back with today's uh, roundtable with Scott Wong and Ginger Gibson and Addie Baird. Let's go to 2020. I guess there's a new front runner, uh, Michael Bloomberg. Now leads the pack, right? <laughs> Where do we start with this? So let's start with not Michael Bloomberg. Kamala Harris dropped out. What's the impact, Ginger, and uh, who benefits? It's hard to say anyone benefits when a candidate And what polling. happened also, all of you. you know. <laughs> yeah, a candidate polling at 3 or 4% drops out. There's not a lot of uh, support to be gained uh, from that. Uh, not a lot of voters to be won over. She didn't have many voters left. Um, I think it was um, inevitable for a while now. She had had that big moment. She couldn't capitalize on it. She couldn't turn her numbers around. Um, and she just couldn't convince the voters that she was authentic. Uh, we hear... You know, Cory Booker seems to be getting the same message from his strategist because he keeps saying the word I'm authentic over and over again as if that's going <laughs> that's to make him authentic. <laughs> um, but it was the same problem. I mean, they just voters would say, I just feel like I don't know her. I just don't know what she stands for. I just don't don't know what she's trying to do. Um, and, and it was a problem for her that she couldn't fix. Um, I also think uh, it's pretty smart of her to leave now. Yep. Uh, she can come back to Washington. She can be a part of the impeachment. She can play a real role in the Senate, uh, presuming that it moves there um, and and sort of turn around what has been sort of a lackluster year for her. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody particularly benefit, do you think, from her dropping out? Is it Cory Booker? Is it Joe Biden? I mean, I don't, I, I don't think Cory Booker is long for this race either. Um, you know, I think that sort of on paper, it would make sense that, that you know, these more moderate voters looking for somebody um, who will be a, sort of a historic candidate, um, would migrate to Cory Booker? Um, would that last for two months tops? <laughs> um, you know, yeah. this field is is about to winnow down. Which which looks like Scott that the result will be um, that the most diverse field in the Democratic Party's history will end up being six white people on stage uh, a week from now. I know it's going to be quite a sight, and uh, there's a lot of grumbling within. The Democratic Party, certainly among the minority caucuses on Capitol Hill, that, you know, there's no Kamala, no Cory Booker, no Castro. The list goes on. Did Andrew Yang? Andrew, he, Andrew Yang has not made no the Andrew Yang. Yang. Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard are both like a pole away. Okay. And so, that's the thing I think to keep important to keep in mind. It's not the fundraising that's the hurdle for these these folks. It's the polling. They're just not getting enough support. Uh, there was a lot of criticism of the press that that was the reason Harris had to drop out, that she wasn't covered fairly. I mean, she spent more time than any other candidate in South Carolina, the most heavily African-American state, and in this early primary process, and she couldn't pull above two or three percent in many of the polls. Um, and that's that's what did her in. And by the way, she was uh, polling number four at best in California, in California, right. her home, which state. would have been so embarrassing for her. Like it, totally. it, again, I think this was a really smart moment for her to drop out. She's poised well to you know be a cabinet pick for a Democratic president. She's a coveted endorsement despite not really picking up a ton of, of voters. She doesn't embarrass herself too badly. She timed this really well. Right. So my anecdotal thing for that is that uh, I talked to former Governor Jerry Brown the night she dropped out, and, and Jerry said to me, boy, she was smarter than I was in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> she, knew, she knew when to get out. One thing was, to 
to look at and we look at who this could benefit. Um, a woman left in the race who's still trying to build support, Amy Klobuchar. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I would not be surprised to see her numbers, which have been on the rise, particularly in a place like Iowa, also start to go up in the wake of a Harris departure. Um, she's playing the long game. She's been playing the long game this whole time. Uh, she's made the December debate, which Booker has not. Um, and I think that there is a there is room for her to keep growing. And she's I, I sound like a broken record. I keep calling her my dark horse, yeah. but uh, I wouldn't rule her out yeah. yet. And, and, and she's the, done very well on the debates, I believe. Yeah. And the important thing is to peak at the right moment, right? You want to peak yeah. right when the Iowa caucuses are kicking off. And that was part of Kamala's problem was that she peaked too soon, didn't have the momentum. She staffed up. And then when the money dried up, she had to start laying people off, and it was all downhill from there. So meanwhile, Joe Biden, with all of his uh, awkward moments in the debates, just keeps soldiering on, doing very well in South Carolina. And he, there he is in Iowa and got John Kerry's endorsement this week uh, and then had this little moment with a, an 83-year-old voter at a town hall in Iowa. A damn liar, man. That's not true. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people know. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on? Let's do push-ups together here, man. Let's do this run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take my pizza. Push-up contest. Um, Biden just, <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's certainly going to be there till the, he may not be the nominee, but he's still proven amazingly strong. Washington Twitter yesterday or on Thursday when this moment with Biden and Iowa happened, freaked out. Oh my God, he called the voter a liar and this is so appalling. Yeah. This is terrible. It was a brilliant moment for him. I mean, if you look at it through the lens of voters want to hear, one, a candidate who's willing to take on Trump, and that's exactly what they're going to think Biden was doing there. Taking on what they think is a vicious lie Trump keeps repeating about Joe Biden and his son. He wasn't yelling. He wasn't, uh, he did call him names. But he was he was pretty forceful. And I, I, you know, I think that the Democratic electorate has been grappling with this, like, how much of a fighter do we want versus how much of a sort of juxtaposition to Biden, do, I mean, to Trump do we want? And I think that um, Biden showed them a little bit of his, his fighter side um, and has showed the juxtaposition in that ad he put out on Thursday morning where everyone was laughing at Trump and then it showed mm -hmm. him with all these world leaders. He's trying to give them both of those things. And I thought that, that was actually probably a really great moment for him at the end of the day and not one that's going to be particularly bad for him. Thanks for setting up the next soundbite here, which is a Joe Biden ad um, making a point about Donald Trump is roundly being laughed at on the world stage. World leaders caught on camera laughing about President Trump. World leaders mocking President Trump. They're laughing at him. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. <laughs> Didn't expect that reaction. World leaders mocking and ridiculing him for being completely off balance. Allies are deeply worried about it. They say he's becoming increasingly isolated. Something is very wrong. The world sees Trump for what he is, insincere, ill-informed, corrupt. Pretty powerful message, Scott. Oh, yeah, and I agree with Ginger. I thought it was a very good week for Joe Biden with the ad coupled with how he performed during that town hall. I also was curious, you know, and I haven't studied this too closely, if those world leaders, Trudeau and others, intentionally wanted to be caught on the, quote, <laughs> hot mic. I mean, 
you know, presumably if you see somebody filming you in, in a room, you, you're, you know, you're being watched and people like to read lips. Yeah. So what did you think of the, uh, the, the NATO overall? I thought that that ad was really sharp. Um, mm -hmm. I will say I'm not convinced that that ad does anything except for fire up Democrats, which like that's all he needs to do right now. But people who voted for President Trump are not swayed by like, mm. you know, elite world leaders laughing at President Trump. Um, I will also say I, I think that Ginger's assessment of that moment at the town hall is right. There was on Capitol Hill, it happened like right before the, the votes were called in the House and we all went to, you know, talk to members at votes and it was just like this like titter of people being like, did you see he called him a damn liar? And like, it, we were all obsessed with it, but I think it's actually going to play really well. What I will say, I do think that Joe Biden has to figure out a way to talk about Hunter and he just hasn't. hasn't yet, and it is for... so, you know, uh, to be clear, I am not saying I'm not saying that it is the same as what President Trump did. It is much smaller potatoes. But Hunter Biden's, you know, dealings in Ukraine are so self-evidently corrupt. Joe Biden has to figure out a way to talk about this. That's not just like telling people, telling mm -hmm. voters they're liars. Right. Uh, any final comment on Michael Bloomberg? <laughs> oh, on Bloomberg. I, I was just going to say on the Hunter Biden point that. Uh, things are moving quickly to the Senate, which is going to be focused a lot on Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. In fact, yeah. they've tried to call both of those right. folks Re as witnesses. Republicans will attempt to do that. Okay, Bloomberg. On Bloomberg, before we... yeah, on Bloomberg, I think that he any is... impact at all. No, I mean, he, of course, he came <laughs> in at four percent, but like he has global name ID and spending millions of dollars. Right, he's going to maybe get to six or seven, but he's going to have a hard time overcoming the fact that he's skipping the first four early states. And he's going to have a hard time overcoming the fact that he won't make any of the debates because he's not raising any money. Um, you cannot buy your way into the nomination. I'm not convinced he's really trying. Um, and, and you know, his campaign would argue otherwise, but there is an incentive. You get some credibility if you're running ads as a candidate with skin in the game than if you're running ads against one of the other candidates as a billionaire sitting on the side sidelines um it's, but he's gotta i mean he's gonna have to hit 10 or 15 percent in the polls to be able to survive not competing in the first four states well, speaking about ads we saw michael bloomberg's first ads this week too i mean i saw several of them i didn't see any reason in any one of those ads to vote for michael bloomberg again i'm not convinced he's really trying and i will just say if he really wants to try um his record as the mayor of new york is not going to play well in a Democratic primary. And here's one of the key things to remember. He says he's not playing these first four early states. He purposely missed the deadline in New Hampshire. You don't have to register to run in Iowa. It's a caucus state. The people show up and decide who they're caucusing for, right? There's absolutely no reason he couldn't go compete in Iowa. So it is unusual that he would decide not to. One impact is that he's sucking up the oxygen for some of the lower tier candidates, mm -hmm. could, which could have the effect of pushing some of those folks out, like the Cory Bookers. We certainly saw it with Kamala Harris, where she said, I can't compete with a billionaire who's spending that kind of money. Um, and on the food stamp thing, which we really don't have, to get it, have time to get into, let's just point out that the moving 700,000 people off the food stamp rolls at this time of year is, I think, just, we could agree, another example of stuff that's going on that would normally get a lot of attention from all of us, but will get zero attention because of the impeachment. 
Absolutely. Or, I mean, you know, I, I sort of hate the game that's like, if Obama had done this, because like, you know, right. whatever. But he, I think you're right that like the the cuts to snap would be, you know, a week's long ordeal right before the holidays, you yeah. know, in another administration. And here we are, you know, giving it 30 seconds at the end of the roundup. Did yeah. you find any members yesterday? Nobody was talking about it. And everyone was talking about impeachment, mainly because that's what reporters are asking them about. So reporters are fixated on impeachment. The lawmakers are answering questions on impeachment. And therefore, that is the news cycle is all impeachment all the time. Yeah. I think we'll hear some of the candidates talking about it on the campaign trail, but mm -hmm. because we're also focused on impeachment, we're giving less attention to the candidates on the campaign trail. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, right. you know, Michael Bloomberg made headlines yesterday saying the president should be impeached. Um, I don't know that anyone was watching for the the snap reaction weigh in um, uh, from the campaign trail yesterday, despite there being many of them out campaigning. Right. Uh, covered a lot of territory. Um, we always love uh, that th th there's so much going on that there's usually something that catches our attention uh, in this uh, almost fire hose of news that we're trying to follow every day. Uh, we call it your favorite story of the week. Um, who wants to start off? I can go. Go. So my favorite story of the week is something that made me laugh so hard. Um, <laughs> NBC is unionizing. Um, and there was this Instagram account that popped up this week that alleges to be some anti-union NBC employees that is so clearly somebody at NBC hiring a consultant to make a like millennials aren't millennials don't need to unionize and it's all of these like millennial pink like little drawings that are like the union will take thousands of dollars in dues from you it's so unbelievably funny there's one that's like uh, you know, drawings of like vintage women doing like synchronized swimming that says dues are for the gym. It's unbelievably hilarious. It like disappeared overnight. It came back and it's just like, like unionizing, it, like digital media unionizing was inevitably going to turn into like consultant driven millennial pink Instagram anti-union accounts. And here we are. And here we go. Right. Well, for my unionized newsroom, I welcome them um, uh, uh, to yes. the guild. Absolutely. Uh, Solidarity for Solidarity. Um, be a guild steward. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but I will say that my fun story of the week, I'm going to take us out of the U.S. Um, and into the unrest in Chile. So mine is not funny, but um, there are quite a bit of, of protests breaking out in Chile. Uh, my coworkers there on the ground are just putting up the most amazing images. Um, if you have a moment, go and look at the pictures. Um, there was one that I just couldn't stop looking at yesterday that was a man drinking a soda in a suit as riot police ran behind him with uh, tear gas in the distance. Um, and he was just standing there drinking the soda. Um, I think we've got a lot of going on here in the U.S., but it's important to remember what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, and those images can really bring it uh, to life. Uh, my colleagues at Reuters uh, at the AP uh, really putting forward some, some amazing images, and I would recommend everyone go and look at them similar images coming today from france as well right uh, yes with the with the protests there against the so-called pension reform by uh, president macron scott we'll i'm going to circle attention. back to where we started with nancy pelosi uh a behind the scenes story from yesterday with her interaction mm -hmm. with james rosen she was fired up she was walking to the edge of the of the stage 
and her staff, uh, while they loved what she did, they were really freaked out. They thought she was in her four-inch heels. They thought she was going to topple over down the <laughs> stairs because she was ready to get into James Rosen's <laughs> face with her fingers wagging. They, fortunately, we did not see the speaker go topple, that topple been, yeah. over. You could see the fear Is that in right? her comms team's oh, eyes. Wow. I, bet that, I bet that was a moment. Uh, and I also go over, overseas for my favorite story of the week. Um, you know, there's more and more um, fear about what might happen with drones, particularly around airports. Well, the French have come up with the answer. They have trained golden eagles to intercept and bring down drones. Uh, and they actually, these, these eagles fly 50 miles an hour. They can spot a drone a mile away, and they know they get food if they bring down the drone. And they've actually trained them, and it's working. And now other countries are trying to learn from what the French have done. It actually started uh, in Holland, in the Netherlands, where they were the, first, the police there were the first ones to have this idea about drones. Uh, and then a related story, I just got into this, so I kept doing more research. In Australia, the problem down there is they have a, there's mining companies that way out in the outback that are using drones to scout new territory. And the eagles down there are taking down the drones without having been trained. They just don't like this, this people debating on their territory. So here we are with all the, our technology, right? <laughs> Trying to figure out what we're going to do about these drones and the thing is, just turn it over to nature and let the golden eagles take care of it. I love it. I don't know, I don't know what the Mario. So, God bless France in this case. <laughs> Whoever it is. Hey, thank you so much, guys. Addie Baird, thank you. Happy holidays. And Ginger Gibson and uh, Scott Wong. Uh, let me give you a little quick parting shot, which I always hasten to add before we leave. Is not, or these are my comments alone, my opinion alone, not necessarily uh, shared by all the members of our panel. Um, for my parting shot today, we know that the House Intelligence Committee released its report this week. I've got a copy of it right here in front of me. It is 300 pages long, but like, but, pardon me, like the Robert Mueller report, it's worth reading the whole thing because it lays out for the first time the whole broad scope of Donald Trump's persistent and relentless campaign to brand Ukraine, not Russia, as the black hat in our 2016 presidential campaign and to bribe Ukraine into investigating Joe Biden and his son, Hunter. But what strike me, struck me most about uh, the, what I've read so far of the report was that Donald Trump did not act alone, as Ambassador Gordon Sunland noted in his congressional testimony before the House Intelligence Committee, everybody was in the loop. Everybody includes Vice President Mike Pence, who knew all about holding up military aid to Ukraine for dirt on the Bidens, it includes Energy Secretary Rick Perry, who worked closely with Rudy Giuliani, and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who knew all about and supported the effort to shake down the president of Ukraine and who fired our ambassador to Ukraine because she wouldn't play along. It also includes Devin Nunez, ranking Republican on House Intelligence, who was on the phone with Giuliani and his associate plotting Ukraine's strategy, and of course, it includes Rudy Giuliani himself, who cooked up the entire blame it on Ukraine deal. So Donald Trump may be impeached, but that's not enough, in my opinion. 
He didn't act alone. Mike Pence, Rick Perry, Mike Pompeo, Devin Nunez, and Rudy Giuliani were his henchmen. The only way to clean house is to get rid of the whole crooked bunch of them. My parting shot for today. That's our roundtable for today. Thanks so much to our panelists, Addie Bear, Ginger Gibson, and Scott Wong. Thanks to all of you for listening. Are you already a subscriber to the Bill Press Pod? I hope so. If not, please sign up today. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn. Search for the Bill Press Pod. Click on subscribe, and you are in. And you know what? Be sure to follow, be sure you, you don't miss any edition of the Bill Press Pod coming up. If you just follow me on Twitter, at Bill Press Pod. Again, that's at Bill Press Pod. That way you'll get advance notice of every new podcast, including our next one with Washington Post columnist Ruth Marcus, who has a powerful new book out about Brett Kavanaugh and the conservative takeover of the Supreme Court under Donald Trump. That's one of one interview you won't want to miss, so follow me again on Twitter at Bill Press Pod. Thanks again to our panel. Thanks to all of you. Stay strong, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Bill Press Pod with Ruth Marcus.